I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track podcast. Um, I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And well, this is quite an important episode. And I've probably mentioned this embarrassingly so, uh, trying not to embarrass the guests, but when I set this podcast up, I had a bucket list of two people to get on, and uh, and and one of which uh, I'm thrilled to say is today's guest, and that that person is Maxine Peake, uh, and it was just an absolute joy. I've been a huge fan of Maxine's um, work for as for as long as she's been, you know, in in the public eye, and and it's it's it was just a real privileged to sit down with someone who aside from everything was super fun we had such a laugh as well and we talk about some great records and we we talk about clubbing and 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 all the usual stuff we do on on this podcast and you're in for a real treat and uh and i kind of try and keep a lid on the on the fandom on this one but um but it's a lovely chat and uh, and i can't wait for you to hear it so um i'll get the quick bits out of the way the, the big thank you so um thank you to scroobius pip and everybody at the distraction pieces network um thanks to 76 for producing this um and if this is your first time listening to off the beaten track when you've, you you finish listening to this one go and have a look in the the archives because there's there's over 150 episodes with loads of your favorite actors musicians producers djs comedians go and have a a rummage around and see if there's something that you you want to listen to um but yeah this um this gives me uh a lot of happiness to say this please enjoy off the beaten track podcast with maxine peak listen up i've only got another new sponsor egg fried it's this super cool clothing label. And if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humor in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this. They have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all support in the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range. And it's called Small Fried. And it's super cool, super cute. Um, and again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. 
make stew with him. Okay, we're recording. Uh, seeing opposite me today uh, in Salford via Zoom, Maxine Peak. Hello. Hello, Stu. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I didn't think this was going to happen. I think like you turned up and I could see you, but I couldn't hear you. <laughs> and you, you used a stroke of genius. We went right old school, wrote it down on a bit of paper and held it up in front of the camera. <laughs> um, I'm super excited about this today. Um, and I'm going to get the cringy bit out of the way quickly, Max, um, if that's all right. When I set this podcast up three years ago, I had two guests that were on my list of people that I wanted to speak to. One was you and one was Johnny Marr. So, oh, get away. So, oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm really, really excited um, to, uh, to chat to you today. Um, oh, so I really just, I just want to ask, before we sort of get into the, the songs and stuff, how have you found uh, lockdown as, 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 as a human being and as a creative? It's, I mean, hard, like everybody else, but then not, conf- you know, it's, it's not been unbearable. And I think because as an actor and as a lot of, you know, self-employed and people in the creative industries, you do expect to have a type you know, amount of time out to work, but I think it's the uncertainty that's been quite anxiety-inducing. You go, well, when can we start again? And then just, you know, feeling for friends and colleagues and just hearing about people in the business that you go, will they be able to ride this out? I'm in a, you know, very privileged position where financially I'm, you know, touch wood, depending on how long it goes on, you think I can ride this out. But I think, you know, we will lose a lot of people who will go, well, I can't, I can't stay within this this business anymore, you know, and especially it's the real creatives. I know people are doing a lot to save buildings, which of course is needed, but it's it's the people that make the building. Yeah. And I think to me that's paramount is, you know, supporting the actual physical creators, you know, in their sort of future. Because there, so, was, yeah. there was two venues in Manchester, wasn't there, um, like music venues that looked like they were about to close and, and thankfully – someone stepped in and, and, and kind of, I don't know if they bought them out or what they'd done, but they, they, they saved two really key life venues, didn't they? Yeah, well, Gorilla, mm. which I love Gorilla. It's a fantastic space. I've seen some fantastic acts there. And, yeah, there was talk of that. I don't quite know what's happened to it. But, you know, the, we've got the theatre, the Royal Exchange. I mean, that's still, I don't quite know. But, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. There's going to be a lot of people who will probably have to be made redundant and I know they're fighting tooth and nail the theatre to keep everybody employed but it's when can it open again and how can it open and and then how does you know the theatre will move move forward I think that's the thing isn't it I mean I I run a live venue um down here and and I mean we're speaking on a day I think this is a few days before I believe theatres are allowed to reopen um But I think that's all well and good saying that. But if the restrictions are in place that are going to put so much financial strain on, you know, people to put these kind of events on, it's it's going to be tough. If you can only sell a third of the tickets and yet, you know, your production costs are still the same, it's, it's, it's going to be an ongoing struggle, I think. Well, I think so. And I think obviously productions will be smaller. There'll be probably lots of one-person shows or two people, you know. And then you start to think out of that. I mean, obviously... I'm, 
quite selfish to think about my, you know, the industry I'm in. But you, and you think, then you think about television and film and you think, well, that will have a knock-on effect because there'd be a lot more people vying for those jobs and, you know, probably people with a bit of a profile be going for jobs that maybe they wouldn't, you know, yeah. everyone, you know, sli- not sliding down the ladder, you know, it's a very unfair business and we all know in anything profile and all that yeah. makes a difference. But compromising where they want to go. Yeah, and you sort of think, oh, you know, so that'll have a knock-on effect that people, you know, you just feel that then there'll be people pushed off the bottom of the, not the bottom, but... I know what you're saying, Tony. Yeah, yeah, sorry, but yeah, it's sort of, you see it before lockdown that people were getting, you think, oh, interesting, they're doing that, or people would say, God, I normally should just get off of these parts, now I have to go and audition all those parts and they're going to somebody who's got a name and blah, blah, blah. So you do really, you worry it's yeah and it's always hits the people who don't you know who are the it always hits the most vulnerable the hardest doesn't always. it the people, you know it's it's the way it goes and it's it's that's what's devastating well fingers crossed it seems that there's a light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> yeah, there, sorry, so. I've been <laughs> but it's been lovely chatting to you anyway <laughs> yeah well, no, but yeah, there is. There's always hope, and the exciting thing: the landscapes change. Yeah. So, and you know, and speaking to a lot of young creatives are coming through, and I think they'll, you know, it's about creating your own work. It's about you know, maybe it's about different venues, and maybe it will make you hopefully the arts in some ways more accessible because people have to be really inventive about where they put things on. Definitely. I mean, but again, it's about feeding yourself, isn't it? And, being able to pay your rent and whatever yeah. you know and i can have a very idealistic view about it but you know hopefully th- at that same time people will be able to make a living from I, it as well i totally agree and, and i think that it will and it has already in, in 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 lots of ways like you know created a kind of that that kind of punk diy ethic of of like yeah. you know working with your resources and if they're limited then it's like right let's see what we can do with those resources so yeah. And you always get some brilliant, you know, that's when it gets exciting and that's when the work's really edgy and exciting and, and current. You know, it's not just, will this make lots of money? And, and and that's the essence of art, isn't it, really? Completely, completely. You know, so. Well, let's talk about some uh, some great art. And uh, track one, Max, I'm going to ask you the song that you think's got the greatest ever intro. Oh, is it? It's <laughs> the Four Horsemen. Um uh, Aphrodite's Child. Okay. Um, yeah, I love this. Somebody introduced me to this album probably about ten years ago, and I thought it was a bit of a, you know, prog rock aficionado, but all. Um, and who would have known that, you know, um, Demis Roussos? <laughs> oh, I read. I knew they were Greek. I did not know. Is that fronted by Demis Roussos? It's Demis Roussos. It's Demis Roussos. And Vangelis. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, before he was, you know, a household, you know, a housewife's favourite in yeah. his, you know, crooning in his caftan. He was, he was, yeah, into real experimental rock. So I hope he's got I an love- album called Crooning in My Caftan. <laughs> that would be brilliant. <laughs> but I just think, you know, if uh, I always think about Abigail's party and I always think if, if uh, she'd ever been into earlier Demis Roussos, it might have had it, might have, had it. <laughs> might have been a different player film altogether. But I love, I just love this album. But this, to me, the intro to this and this track, it's it's definitely, yeah, it's my, one of my favourites. I think he's some, um, I can definitely hear like, you know, like, 
I guess more kind of current stuff like I think Florence has, has, has definitely like pulled stuff from that. I think you listen to Florence and the Machine and like just the way that she presents her vocals and the kind of build, I could definitely draw parallels to to, to that track specifically. Um, okay, well, was there any honourable mentions on that one? Was there anything else that kind of popped into your head or did you just go straight for that? Because this is generally the question when people are like, oh, this is a really hard one, this one. And it's like, I kind of weren't sure whether to go with this or this. Was there anything else that kind of popped into your head? I'd have to say Heartwind Silver Machine. You're getting your prog on today, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was a bit of a, yeah, in my teens when it was very uncool. (laughs) <laughs> I always like to be different, but no, no, Prog's never been a good, Prog's always cool. I mean, I know it, it dips in and out, doesn't it? Yeah. It's become very, it feels like, you know, it's been embraced again, it, you know, and it's like everything, it evolves, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's become something different, but that's why I'm quite liking sort of the current music scene. So you go, yeah, there's, you can hear in a lot of bands, a lot of prog influences. Definitely. I mean, I know people used to say it was a bit navel gaze and a bit too clever and some of it could be very pretentious. You know, <laughs> but I don't think it shied away from being pretentious, did it? No, no, and that's what I love about it. Mm. I love the scale, you know, the scale of it. Because the first band I got into really was Gong, right? And you know, a teenager, and there's yeah, there's lots of things I connected to in that whole sort of psychedelic world. And I love anything a bit trippy, yeah. a bit psychedelic, you know. Well, I'm interested as to, as to how you got into that because you're you're, you're younger than me, um, Max. And I was looking at it, and I was, and when I was kind of got to like the early '90s, and and there was lots of kind of just coming out of like the Manchester music sort of explosion and, and what was going on. There was a lot of people that would sort of be floating around the, the, the clubs and pubs that are drinking with gong t-shirts on. Generally, a lot of tie dye as well. <laughs> And uh, and, it, and it just felt like kind of who was it? Was it um, Steve Hillage? And there was oh yeah. I'm just trying to think what he was doing a band called System Seven at the time, I think. And uh, and Osric Tentacles, and there was that kind of scene. Was that what you was getting pulled into then? Well, I it, see the trouble with me. I'm a bit. I'm a, I am a little bit of a bandwagon jumper, so I was sort of into a, a few things, you know. And I did the Manchester. I, I really hit hard on the Manchester scene and the yeah. sort of like late 80s, early 90s. I'm, you know, I hate, I'm not a big fan of the rave, you know, when people say rave, but, you know, clubbing. But as well, I grew up in Bolton and we had two sort of pubs that you went to. One was if you were underage and into indie music. And one was if you were, a, you know, drinking age. Yeah. So there was the Boar's Head and the Blue Bar. And me and my friend Shower used to go to Boar's Head and there was a guy in there. We must have been about, I must have been about 15 and I still remember, and I opened it, a guy called Gaff, and he had long hair, all in denim, and he had Angel's Egg, the Gong album, painted on the back of his jacket. He had a little beard and desert boots, and I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> so that's how I got, so straight away, I went to X Records in Bolton, which was like, you know, this more alternative record shop, yeah. and just went and bought myself you know, I went and bought Angel's Egg and then just went home and sort of, you know, lay in my bedroom for about eight hours listening to it, thinking, you know, my life has changed forever now, you know, as you do at that age. Because, I mean, that's an intense bit of music for a 15-year-old, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. The intense of the best. It's very intense at that age. I don't quite, you know, I've come out of it now, thankfully. But, um, 
That's, yeah. that's, that's quite crazy. I mean, I'm just thinking I was literally throwing myself around my bedroom to like Mel and Kim. Meanwhile, you're there eight hours <laughs> into like a gong album at 15. Incredible. Um, well, for track two, uh, Max, I'm going to ask you the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Oh, it's, it was the Mike Sam singers and it's Puff the Magic Dragon. And we had it. Well, I've still got it on a on a seven inch. And I think White Horses was on the B side. Um, and it was one of those you could colour. It, it, I don't. You remember them? The sort of they had the picture on the front, and on the back you could colour in, yeah. and it had a picture of a dragon. You know, a cartoon dragon on the front. Um, and I think it might have been my sisters and my nan and Jim, who I spent a lot of time with when I was you know, little. We used to get packed off every weekend. They used to have this little polite cupboard. I mean, Grandad worked at Leila Motors and in there was all, he used to bring back engineering paper so I could draw on the back. And then his records, and it was like Paul Robeson, Ewan McCall, Nana Miscori, he had in there. And then this Puff the Magic Dragon. And I used to love it, but it used, I mean, it still does. It makes me bawl like a baby. You know, but it's just that story of it and being devastated as a child, but believing, you know, really believing yeah, yeah. that somewhere there was this this dragon that lived on this, you know, by the sea. Yeah, so that was, uh, it, yeah, and yeah. It, it'd be mine as well. Was it? Yeah. It's, it's, oh. the, it's the first time, I mean, I, I won't say what my emotion is, but what was the emotion, Max, that you got from listening to that? It was real melancholy, and it was the the loss of somebody. Yeah. And I think that thing when you're a child, your imagination, isn't it? What you can you you know you can imagine, but making that look at me, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it making that special friendship. Yeah. That very special friendship with somebody that nobody else knew. You know what I mean? It was the magic of it. Yeah. Maybe that's why then I went on to, to Prague. You know what I mean? <laughs> Because I wanted my own dragon, you know yeah. what I mean? I wanted that special that nobody else knew about, your own secret. I mean, there was lots of puff and lots of magic dragons in the world <laughs> of, uh, of prog, I'm sure. <laughs> Brilliant. But, but it, but it is, it's such a sombre-sounding record, isn't it? And it's, it's like there's, a, there's like just a feeling of like longing and, and it, 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 I remember like vividly hearing that like because it was one of the first songs I think like when you're young like you can you can picture it like it's quite story-like yeah. isn't it in yeah. the way that it's presented and like and you can kind of attach a sort of visual in your mind to it and oh it's it's just got a lot of sort of longing and oh yeah I, 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 it's beautiful I, yeah have you heard uh Bonnie Prince Billy's version no oh so he did a version oh maybe about <laughs> 15 years ago but that beautiful sort of baritone you know yeah. oh it's it's that's really that's a beautiful um it is a really beautiful adaptation of it as well oh, if you did that out, yeah. that. I, I literally heard he, 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 uh, a new record from him this morning they were playing it on six music this morning and and it made me think i've not listened to him for ages so yeah. uh, right that's what i'm going to go and check out his cover of uh <laughs> the magic dragon um well, for track, um, well, well, before we, 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 we get on to, to, to school and stuff, so you, you mentioned like a, a few of the records that were, were floating around um, at home. So was there a lot of music on at home growing up? Not really. So I spent, like I said, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents and it was my nan and Jim, who was my step-grandfather. 
they were amazing. I mean, they were a real education for me in many, many ways, you know. They, um, but in our house, at sort of home, my sister was a new romantic, which wasn't really for me. I did, I had a thing for Paul Young, and I remember having, I went to the hairdressers and getting a terrible spiky mullet. I looked nothing like Paul Young. You liked him enough that you wanted to look like him? I wanted, yeah. I got it all wrong as a child. I, 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 I didn't have a wife until late in life, and I realised that <laughs> I wanted to look like, yeah. So I wanted the Paul, Paul Young. I remember yeah, it was very yeah. spiky. and um, So I did like Paul Young, but my sister, was she was a new romantic. My dad sort of like the drifters, and he was a big, like, uh, Randy Crawford. And my mum liked... Billy Joe, Frank Sinatra, Lovelace Watkins. She was into a guy called Lovelace Watkins, who you don't it very, very much about now. And um, but I grew up in an area where it was, I think, you know, there was a lot of sort of new, new wave mods on the estate at the bottom of our road. Lots of scooter talking boys. Kind of early, sort of late seventies, early eighties. That second wave yeah. of mod. Yeah, like, second wave. Yeah. yeah, so the sort of yeah, second wave. So there was the mods, scooter boys. Um, rude boys and then you had your casuals so it was all sort of, you know sort of more mid 80s like the you know so it was there was a lot of music around so tribal then wasn't it oh you can't it's it's fascinating now because I can't tell and you, you speak to youngsters and I, and they'll you know they have amazing beautiful tattoos and the and I go what are you into and, and they'll say oh and I, they're not well, we always used to dress so much like our music. It, it it seems very different now. Not, I'm sure lots of people do, but you know, people who look really sort of they look fantastic and really out there, and then they'll be like, "I'm just no, not not really into any music or just into pop chart music." Or it's so strange. It is yeah. so strange. Um, aside from metalers, metalers, yeah, you know, a metaler, you know, they've yeah. been consistent. Yeah. But that yeah. tribalism, you know, even moving, you know, throughout the 80s into kind of rave culture, you know, that kind of indie look and goths and things like that. And it, and I, and I know that I've, I feel like I'm teetering on getting all like Old Man River here and, it, you know, back in my <laughs> day. But I still run an alternative venue and and that tribalism doesn't I can't see it whether or not I'm not meant to see it I'm you know 47 I shouldn't be like looking out for these things maybe not but it doesn't seem it does seem like a bit of a united sort of window of top shop where everyone kind of looks good but there's not that kind of oh he's into that or they're into that maybe that's a good thing I don't know yeah but I love and I used to switch and that was the trouble I used to sort of be into, you know, like I was wanted to be mods and then, you know what I mean, prog and then indie. I sort of went through everything. Yeah. And I always laugh at sort of the, you, you sort of meet people around the same age that we are, don't you get to the point and then you do look and I go, we all sort of now dress the same. Yeah. There's a lot of work yeah. and stripes and, you know, uh, red wings and stuff going on. And it's like, we, and you talk to people, we've all been through the same musical journey. Yeah. I was into acid jazz into you know what I mean yeah. rockabilly into this into that went through it all and then we all <laughs> going I, we've all arrived at the sort of same place without consciously Definitely. you know going this is what we're all gonna look like yeah. <laughs> no as much as I experimented with most of them things that you just mentioned I never went for the Paul Young haircut uh, <laughs> I, I did swerve that one <laughs> still time <laughs> 
Um, all right, well, let's, let's chat about school. And, and for track three, the song that reminds you of your time at school. Yeah, uh, Buffalo Soldier, uh, Bob Marley. Now, it was funny because at first I was going, well, gosh, what really reminds me of school? Because my sort of, I had very few friends at school that I gelled with musically. You know, really, music was something I was into out of school. Um, you know, something I sort of found, I suppose, by myself, really, or by people that I knew so who weren't at the same school as me. But I had two brilliant friends, Justine and Lucy, and um, we were sort of obsessed. We got into that. So we were sort of 14, 15, straight into the Storm Roses. Anything bag, I mean, that term baggy, you know, Manchester. But anything like that. We used to scour the enemy for anything that might sound, you know, I remember bands like the Milltown Brothers and, you know, um, oh, crackers, they were on the radio the other day. What were they called? They had... Uh, the song LSD, what were they called? Not, Northside. Uh, Northside. <laughs> not la- I'm not laughing at Northside. Nobody should That's laugh a at tune. Northside. That's a great tune. It is, it's a brilliant tune. <laughs> Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such so if you want to hear the songs just go over to spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
you know, but we'd, we'd sort of try and find all the, you know, obscure bands, but, and, but there was not really anywhere for us to, I mean, we used to sort of, you know, try and get in pubs and fail and then, you know, eventually did used to go down into Bolton. But the only place we had was a little cafe in West Orton. I went to a school called West Orton High and there was a cafe called, we called it Tommy Vintos because round the windows had the Vinto sticker and used to go in there and get hot Vinto. Hot Vimto. Hot Vimto, yeah. <laughs> in fact, there was a bar in Manchester called Common. It's a brilliant bar and they have some great nights on. They started selling it so, a couple of years ago. It became quite trendy. But it was we used to sit in there drinking hot Vimto and they had a jukebox on, but none of it sort of related to us. But only track on there was Bob Matt. So we used to put on Buffalo Soldiers, we used to put it on repeat like five or six times. It must have drove everybody mad in the cafe. But we thought we were living our best life. You know, we, I still remember coming out one day, me, Lucy and Justine, in our big 32-inch flares and somebody shouted, you've missed Woodstock. You know? <laughs> Second summer of love, I'll have you know. <laughs> but, you know, it was a little town we starting and we did, you know, we did cut probably quite an odd figure, the three yeah. of us sort of scooting, you know, down... Own Market Street, and we're starting in our giant floors. You know. So uh, did you enjoy school, Max? I did. You know what? I was talking to my friend about it yesterday, and um, we said we didn't really learn much, but we loved it. And this is a friend who she gone to Fen College. She went to a different school than me. Um, but we're just saying that it was the fun. It was the it was a sort of camaraderie. It was just messing about. Yeah. I just remember having a laugh and, you know, very rarely bunking off school because you were fired of missing out. Yeah. Not missing. It's awful when I think. I thought I didn't go to school to learn. I went to have a good time. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I did. Totally. Did you? Yeah, did you? completely the same. Completely the same. And I, I didn't bunk off through that kind of fear of, oh, I don't know what, what you know, I don't want to miss out. Yeah. And, and and it certainly weren't missing out on lessons. It was just missing out on the kind of banter that would have been sort of thrown around. And and it, and it's really strange. You know, my, my 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 youngest daughter's fifteen, and she's sort of panicking about exams and things. And and every part of me wants to kind of go, "Don't worry about it. Like you'll be fine. Just enjoy it. Like just yeah. enjoy school. Like because." And it sounds like really bad parent if I say, like, you know, it's just an exam, it's a bit of paper. You're really creative. You will excel in something far greater than, you know, what, what an exam result's going to give you. But I have to kind of, you know, my wife's like, you shouldn't be saying, you know, don't say that, don't say that. And it's, like, okay. <laughs> it's just finding that balance, you know. But, um, but yeah, so what did, did you know what you wanted to be when you was at school? I, I'd always fancied, doing some kind of performing and I think initially I wanted to be a stand-up comedian because <laughs> I was a bit you know I was a bit raucous at school and a bit giddy I think I just had too much energy you know what I mean one of those kids sort of charging around and you know people used to say oh you that it's just when somebody says you'd be good at something you go oh well I'll do that then yeah. not knowing you know the actual implication of of trying to get into that sort of profession um and then I did start to think about acting because that seemed a bit more straightforward but I'd straightforward in a way that I didn't actually have a clue how to how to start I didn't know anybody was an actor you know nobody knew anybody where I was growing up who was into acting and everyone I think my parents were worried because it you know all they hear you know is 99.9 percent of actors are unemployed at one time and I think there's a bit of, of well what would you do you know sort of 
I think it's just not an, an understanding and it's some, it's out of your comfort zone and it's out of your world. So, but I did, yeah, by about sort of 12 or 13, I was sort of tentatively, tentatively, tentatively sort of um, making moves towards it, but I still couldn't quite admit it to myself. I still think I was a bit embarrassed and I never admit to anybody else I want to. I want to be an actor. I don't know why. I, it wasn't that I was shamed. I just thought people would laugh and go, oh, don't be silly. You know, because I didn't look like, I think, what people thought. <laughs> I just looked like I was a larger teenager and, you know, base in her cut and a bit of a tomboy. And, yeah, so. Was you a confident kid? Um, you know what? I don't think I was confident. I, I, I sounds this sounds very potential. I think I just thought I was a kid. I just lived in the moment. Didn't really think too much about things. I did things. I was never overconfident. You know, I was underconfident. I think because of my size and it's like anything. Kids pick up, don't they? they it, kids can be very cruel. Mm-hmm. So I got quite a lot of bullying about being big. But sort of at the time, nothing that I couldn't deal with. Nothing that I thought I didn't expect. And you sort of, you know that made me then, I suppose, become a bit of a performer because it was about making people laugh. Yeah. You know, I think you do take on that mantle of the, the fat, funny one. Did you try stand-up? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. And I, it, sometimes, I, you know, I think, oh, I, I, I'm so in awe of people who do it. Yeah. You know, I'm good friends with Diane Morgan and Diane did it for about 10 years and she was fantastic, you know, but, you know, talking to her, it's really hard. Yeah. I mean, she didn't make it look hard. She made it look, you know, effortless. But I think that just relying on yourself, yeah, standing up there, and you know, and comedians who have you know this career that spans for you know decades, and I go, how did they do it? That is yeah. something to keep producing that work. It's yeah. no, I haven't got, I haven't got the skill set or the yeah. talent for anything like that. Well, did, did you did you live out that in in, in Funny Cow? Well, that was it. I think that was my... Because Tony Pitts, who wrote Funny Cow, came to, we were filming a thing called Red Riding Trilogy. It was 1980, I think, we were in. It was Paddy Considine's episode, and me and Tony sort of played his sidekicks. He was a policeman in it. Uh, well, he was an inspector, I think. And uh, Tony came to me and said, oh, um, a producer's mentioned that I should write something for you from um, another company and I said really he said have you got any ideas and I said well I've always had this fascination with women in working in working men's the working men's club circuit especially the 70s and 80s because it must have been pretty unpleasant Mm. but how they dealt with it you know and Tony went I used to actually run comedy clubs and I was like get out of town so and Tony and we talked about Marty Kane and Tony went oh Marty Kane you're my mum and you know you just start having this conversation going this is all a bit weird it all sort of we it sort of linked in that we had a lot in common on especially with the ideas that I had. So Tony went away and wrote Funny Cow for me. And that's how it started. So yeah, I felt yeah, I sort of got it out my sister. But in in in, in, it, in Star as well, Max. That's a wonderful film. It's a wonderful. Oh, thank you. No, it was great to do and it was such you know, it's one of those I say if, if you know, if it gets made, I can sort of maybe retire. But you know, there's certain parts that you just got Thank goodness that I got because yeah. it took us nine years to make. Really? Nobody want, yeah, nobody wanted it, and we touted it around, and nobody was interested, or they really wanted to change it. So in the end, we got this producer, Kevin Proctor, who basically went, "I'll do it," and remortgaged his house, and just really sacrificed a lot to get it to get it made. And yeah, so we owe a lot to him, you know. 
we got it done. Wonderful. <laughs> Track four. The first song you remember buying from a record shop? No, what? Oh, it's um, it's Paul McCartney's Frog <laughs> Chorus. No one ever picks a cool one for this, you're fine. I know, I know. I was going on my second one, maybe my second one, which was whilst come tumbling down by the Starcoast, but I was like, oh no. Yeah, no, I I I um I had a big thing for Rupert the Burr. I mean not right. like you know, you know, not a, not a weird, weird thing. Purely platonic. <laughs> it was uh, his check trousers. Um <laughs> and because it was, you know, Rupert the Burr and the Frog Chorus and yeah, and I think again it was that tweed, you know, it was frogs. It yeah. was creatures you know, I was loved all that of, you know, fairies and pixies and elves and yeah. you know, again, moving on to gong. <laughs> but believing that there could be, you know, yeah. a world where, you know, things spoke or came to life in the evening. But I loved it, you know, and Paul McCartney and yeah. yeah, so that was my first Oh, when when that came on top of the pops when you was a kid, it was great, wasn't it? I know. <laughs> bom, 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 bom. <laughs> but I'm always a bit like that, oh but yeah, you can't and when people are we pick cool ones for the first records, because my partner's like, Yeah, Ghost Town, the specials was mine. I'm like, I'm not having that. Yeah. But he reckons it was. <laughs> you know? we, we've had yeah. a few that have kind of th- thrown in something and I always just think no one was listen to John Peel and stuff then <laughs> no one was that cool no no but then I mean you pulled it back your second one was um style council walls come tumbling down yeah oh yeah. great what a tune so that I is did. as well I loved I was a big style and I know I always go because I know Paul Weller says that it, he doesn't think it was his finest I were the sort of style council but him and Mick Tolbert I thought they were mm. they were great and I just thought the lyrics were amazing and it was a very sort of potent time, wasn't it? And the whole red witch thing. And yeah, red, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just for me. I mean, I was probably only about ten. In fact, I've got the hour. It's just on my shelf there. The tape. I've still got the hour favorite shop. Wicked grotty tape with my name on that. You know, I take to the youth club and go. Can you put this on? <laughs> <laughs> Go away with you, you know. I, but, uh, I love the jam, but I, I, I think Walls Come Tumbling Down is one of the best things Paul Weller's has ever done. Yeah, he's brilliant, and you know. I don't want to talk too much about politics, but <laughs> you can you can play that track today, and it, yeah, completely, completely, it still stands up very much about the current climate we're in, you know. And bizarrely, when we move on to the next track, which we get, we're going to now, the Style Council kind of is a reference point there as well. Um, for track five, I'm going to ask you the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Oh, just um, just smooth, yeah. Style Council um, covered that, didn't they? Oh, God. T- Tell me something nice, Jim. Look at me. Yeah, I was a real fan. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> really. And after buying the uh, Frog Chorus, I bought the rest of the Paul McCartney's album. <laughs> um, I mean, so what? T- tell me about Maxine and Clubbing and that period as well, because Promise Land is just. A glorious record, isn't it? It just, it's, that's another one that actually emotionally it still gets me. And the lyrics to it, you know, you just it was a real anthem about everyone, you know, about it was all coming together. And, you know, and I I do sort of have reservations that the, the club scene wasn't as always inclusive as it could have been, you know. Yeah. And some, you know, and it's, I and, and interesting, I was doing, um, 
I wrote a play uh, that was on at the Royal Exchange called Queens of the College, and it was about set in the early 90s. And it was about the true story of four women and Scargill, who was Arthur Scargill's wife then, and three other women occupied the Parkside Colliery near me. It was the last wave of pit closures. And uh, one of the characters I'd written was like a wannabe, you know, sort of DJ. And I was doing some research around the character. And the character's heritage was um, Jamaican. Um, his, his father came over from Jamaica and his mum was um, white British from, from Wigan. And I was doing, you know, a research about clubs and started, because I didn't really know much about street soul and all that. Sort of, so it was a real eye on me and just starting to realise, actually, because I probably didn't realise at the time that, like I said, the club scene wasn't, and in Manchester, you know, it wasn't as as inclusive because it could have been. But I, I got him, and there was a scene in it where he put some music on and all the women dance. Um, well, actually, he shows them how to dance and they all join in. So there's no music because they don't have mine. But I got them to play that over. And it was just watching everybody in the theatre, especially of a certain age, going, oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Because it Wicked. just, to me, was that early 90s. Yeah. And just going, I don't know, it was such an informative time for me, the club years and the friends you made because you went all around the country. You know, we went up to Carlisle, Birmingham, Dewsbury, um, hard times in Dewsbury, you know, Miss Money Pennies. We used to go to uh, Liverpool a lot when it was the academy before it be, sort of became cream. Uh, Hacienda, when you could get in, that was quite difficult to get in. Tell, tell me about that because it's, you know, from, from someone, uh, you know, down in, in Essex, it was, you know, it was a stuff of, of legends and, and to, to, to the right of me here he's, uh, a, a big poster of, of Tony Wilson, who's a, a big hero of mine. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm just, anyone that's ever been to the Hacienda, I, I just, I'm very fascinated as to, you know, what their memories of it are, if they've got any. Um, yeah, it was, <laughs> I've got some really good memories, but I think, again, I was probably starting, well, no, I started clubbing probably early 90s. But it could be... I've seen some sights. <laughs> You're meant to see some sights in the Hacienda, I'm sure. <laughs> but I mean, some pretty, you know, little, you know, incidences that you go, oh, that was a little bit scary. Yeah. Um, but it was, I mean, the atmosphere, but but it, it became very much, the, it, very quickly it became very much the place to go, obviously, didn't it? And then everyone was going. So then you do that thing, we go, well, everyone's going there. We need to go and find something a little bit yeah. new. You know what I mean? But it, it, yeah, I mean, I used to go to the best nights for me was there was, um, it was the, so it was a night called Flesh, which was the, I think it was the last, someone's going to correct me, it might have been the last Wednesday or the first Wednesday of every month. And that was sort of an, an LGBTQ night and it was amazing. Who before it was, oh, crikey. Um, I'm trying to think. Paulette, I think lots of, uh, I think every sort of, I've had someone on here, and I'm sure they, they DJ'd at Flesh, and I can't think who it was. And it made me look into that club. It looked incredible. Well, so it was at the yes, and they went, and it, it was like anything. Everyone used to dress up. So people, you know, it was just sort of very little. But I mean yeah. very little. Like you'd see girls in little, like, pants, and then they'd just have gaffer tape over the nipples. And yeah. it was, you know, um, it was just really excellent. And it was amazing. And, again, as I was sort of sixth form age at this point sort of eight, 17, 18. Um, and just going into this world again where you did feel really 
accepted because again I was big you know and my big frilly shirt and my black one I think lots of black velvet chokers I remember going through that it's leather trousers with leather trousers and these big red or dead boots that had a giant platform and big brass you know and a frilly like 70s frilly shirt <laughs> and a denim waistcoat or ass oh dear <laughs> but actually I was in one night in fashion me and my friend and at the time I'm name dropping now but I went to sixth form with Sarah Cox the- right yeah, so we used to go clubbing together, me and Sarah and our friend Sonia, and we were dancing in there one night. And this guy came over to Sonia and Sarah, both very beautiful, obviously, and uh, said, uh, hey, girls, you know, I'm, um, we're, we're doing this. We've got the show called Dance Energy. Um, would you like to come and dance on it? You know what I mean? We have, you know, we have guests and people come and you can be in the audience. And, and they went, yeah, but can our mate come? <laughs> I still remember his face. And he turned around and he went, Oh, I suppose so. <laughs> oh, how horrible. Because he'd obviously been sent out to get get some really gorgeous women, you know what I mean? Get, yeah. you know, and, and you know, Sarah Cox is still absolutely beautiful. My friend Sonia is beautiful. And, you know, and then there's me with me velvet, you know. <laughs> and you could see him sort of going, oh, God, all right. Then. <laughs> so we went and met Normsky. It was Dancing. Normsky, wasn't it? Of course it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the shaman played in TLC. I still remember that. I, th- I remember videoing it. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, but wow. flesh, flesh was. It was amazing, and it was. Yeah, it was so inclusive. It was you know there was the foam machines. It was the amazing drag acts. You know the the it was it was out there. It, it, it felt like New York. You know you felt like you're in some sort of you know hip place downtown New York. You know it was it it yeah. It was a it was a great place. Looking at I mean some of the songs that you've chosen and, and, and some of the things that you've said already in scenes and things like that, like have you always been kind of drawn to the more unusual and, 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 and the more kind of exciting uh, kind of side of, of of I guess music and art and Yeah, I think just I like things that are just I do like offbeat, more offbeat, more than you know, and actually you sort of go, oh, look at my career. And actually it's sort of in some ways quite mainstream, but I try to be a little bit, bit more, you know, I do a lot more, in, you know, in independent film. You know, I, I, I'd like to be a bit more sort of indie in my career choices yeah. as well, you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I just I just always like the slightly darker, a little bit more, not always dark, but a little bit more psychedelic, just a little bit, yeah, fun. And, and trying to always, I think it's that thing, you know, it's you're just always just trying to seek out something different, yeah. and that always really appealed. Underground, really, you know what was going on in the you know underground, and then you get to an age where you realise you have no idea what you know. That's what I miss now. It's like I mean, you still discover things, yeah. But you know, there's places here about now. Go, wow, that club sounds amazing. But yeah. I'd look like I was picking my kids up when I about about a. It must have been about a year ago now. I was I was DJing at my club, and uh, and and this this young girl come up to the to the DJ booth, and I've I've been working there thirty years. Like it's it's, it's been my baby this venue, and uh, and she went, "Are you Stuart Whiffin?" And I just thought, "Wow!" I thought I'm still down with the kids. I was like, "Yes, I am." Yep. And uh, and she went. My mum said to say hello. You went to school with her, and I just <laughs> thought, oh. For a split second, I thought I was still cool. <laughs> nah, went to school with a mum. You're still very cool. 
It's a state of mind. <laughs> right, I'll tell myself that. <laughs> um, for track six, um, Max, I'm going to ask you the favourite song from an artist from your home county. Well, it's Elkie Brooks, who was born a lame bookbinder, who's from Salford. Okay. So she's just up the road. She lived in Broughton, which is not too far from I am. And I just think she's got an extraordinary voice, mm. Elkie Brooks. And there's something about this song again. Again, it's a bit emotional, but I think I related to the story. You know, it's got yeah. it's a bit like Puff the Magic, and it adds mm-hmm. a it has a, a a proper narrative to it about a woman who was once successful and ended up, you know, and, and I, I, you know, just working in bars, you know, singing in bars, and I, there was something. There's a romanticism to that that I quite yeah, I'm like. Really- there's some the failed artist that I sort of could relate to. I don't, yeah. you know, but, um, and I just, yeah, it always, again, it, it always gives me a little, you know, it's a, a bit of an emotional punch for some reason. It's, and just her voice. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, I remember somebody saying, te- first telling me, you know, Elkie Brooks is from Salford. And I was like, I think actually I was on the bus as a kid and somebody drew on a mural and it was like Mark Smith, all these people. And I went, who's that? And then I didn't know. And then and then I remember going to high school to college in Salford, at Salford Tech. One of the teachers said, oh, that was Elkie Brooks. And I remember going, my Elkie Brooks? And I said, she's from Salford. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know that. You know, because she was, yeah. I mean, I think I knew she was British, but, yeah. you know, she, she sort of. Oh, I saw she something had, about, about a month ago. I can't think what it was. It would have been some sort of music doc on, on the BBC. And it went into... Um, Elkie Brooks, because I, I didn't know too much about the band she was in, uh, Vinegar Joe. Do you know much about yeah. about them? Not really, no. Like, well, she was just this kind of – it was a program about women in music, and they were talking about in this rock band, Vinegar Joe, um, which was a kind of real sort of rock and rhythm and blues band, I guess. Um, and, and she was just this incredible front person. But the guitarist in the band was Robert Palmer. Yeah, of course, yeah. And then – I think the way it was portrayed in this film that Robert Palmer's kind of ego started to kind of get a little bit dented with the attention that Elkie Brooks was getting and then he would start presenting himself singing more of the songs that he'd wrote and stuff like that and it kind of figured right. the the sort of end for her and, and obviously both of them then had very successful, you know, solo careers. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's and, and that's one of them albums that... You know, growing up like you had, no one on a scurry would be there, and then there'd always be an Elkie Brooks album floating about. <laughs> Whenever I go crate digging in, in, in like charity shops now, there's still an Elkie Brooks album, a no one on a scurry album. Some of them, remember they're like the top of the pops albums that had like a woman in a bikini on the cover, yeah, really yeah. bad cover versions. <laughs> All right. Um, for your last track, Max, I'm going to ask you a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Have you forgot this one? <laughs> so this is one that um, I knew nothing about. Oh, it's Joe. It's uh, sorry. It's Paul Robson, isn't yes. it? It's the Ballad of Joe Hill. I'm yeah. so <laughs> yeah. So this to me, it's. I mean, again, I grew up with in my grandfather's house. There's a you know we quite a, there was quite a few Paul Robson albums, but I just think this is such a. You, I mean, he's got the most exquisite voice. You mentioned I, a baritone voice earlier, and I thought, wait till oh, people hear this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, it's another narrative, but it's a true story about Joe Hill, who was an organiser within the unions, 
and then got there was a merger and obviously they wanted in the same vicinity was and they they pinned it on him because you know and and he and it's it's a sort of famous sort of saying amongst the left is you know don't mourn organize because that was his last words he basically said don't mourn for my death because he went you know he, he was sentenced to death for obviously a crime he didn't commit but that was um and it's just one of those as well you know I grew up in my grandparents were very left wing so I grew up in that that sort of community sure and then a lot of people are, you know and it's you know we're losing you know there's a lot of people passing away now and that you know and, and I'm losing a lot of comrades and friends you know people I was like anything getting older but it's it's always a, a favorite sort of left-wing funerals my friend Betty Tebbs who was like 96 when she passed away that was we all sung it at her funeral but I just think Paul Robson is yeah I want I, I hope somebody's making a film about him I'm sure oh they must my God. I, I know very little about him and I read up on him and that was the next thing I was going to say to you was someone needs to make a film about this guy. Yeah. His yeah. life is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's extraordinary. He's an extraordinary just human being mm. and what he did and what he did, you know, obviously, as you know, we're talking current day about the Black Lives Matter, but for the movement, civil rights movement, but just, you know, politically in general, he's, he's a huge inspiration to so many people. I, yeah. I knew growing up and it, you know, really opened me up and educated me about, you know, Paul Robeson and and, the, and bigger issues and you know. So, yeah, this got to somebody's got to do a film. It's I, I, yeah. I literally read a, a brief sort of synopsis about him, about the fact that he was you know a, a, a high profile um, sports person. Yeah. And uh, and obviously become a, 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 an activist and was an actor. And so much of it, and like literally moving around the world as well. Like yeah. his story yeah. was just incredible, and, and 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 lived for a long, long time as well. Like it was. And I think he gets he's he's sort of I don't think underrated, but you, he's not as widely known about as I feel he, he he should be. And I think obviously his politics probably had quite a bit to do yeah. with with you know in, in getting. Not, he wasn't silenced. Well, you know, he, he had a lot. Of, like he had he a was, lot of yeah. battles. Well, he yeah. was. I mean, yeah. but I mean, as in moving on. But he was. He was really. Um, yeah. He, he he really he suffered a lot of distress and yeah. and and hardship. You know, because of his beliefs, and he stuck to his beliefs, and he's a real inspiration. You know. Yeah. So yeah. If we sort of find ourselves coming out of lockdown, um, Max, what? What are you looking forward to, and what's what's coming up? I mean, we should also say that um, we're recording this on the fourteenth, and and last night was the uh, the first showing of of Mandy, and oh my god, it <laughs> was just brilliant, like bonkers, She's hilarious. <laughs> the fact that still, I kept laughing about her beating up, most killing, squashing tarantulas <laughs> to Harry Belafonte, singing. <laughs> <laughs> No, Belafonte's banana, but <laughs> Harry Belafonte's another. He's he's another hero, but mm. um, yeah, she's uh, she's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. It was so needed. I mean, I you know, I even the episode I was in, I still laughed out loud, and yeah. I you know, I'd read it. I did watch it last night. I mean, I know, but I just wanted to watch it to see yeah 
Diana Dunn, but she's brilliant. She's, I mean, I've known Diane since we were about 17, 18. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And then I knew, you just know when you meet somebody. We met auditioning for Manchester uh, Metropolitan Theatre School. Manchester Met. They had a theatre school there and we were up and, and I didn't get in, Diane didn't get in, but we sort of, I saw and went, God, you're really good. And then she went, oh, you're really good. So we became, we found out we didn't live too far from each other. She lived in Kersley and I lived in Bolton. Yeah. So we became pals and she used to write stuff and do these brilliant little characters and she's just an ob- a real comedy aficionado. She knows her stuff. You know, why I was into bands and going out clubbing, you know, she'd have Tony Hancock and Markham and Weiss posters yeah. on all. And, you know, um, yeah, but I'm so pleased for her. And I just thought, you know, we need more and more, more Diane Morgan on screen, Definitely. especially, you know, we just need more laughs. Yeah. You know, I'm really looking forward to spitting image coming back and things like that, but we need, I think we do, don't we? A lot more, a bit more comedy, please. So what have you got coming up? So um, what have I got coming up? Well, touch wood, everything being okay. Now, obviously, the theatres um, are being able to open. I'm, I did, at the beginning of lockdown, I did a, one of those, uh, Alan, they remounted Alan Bennett's Talking Heads. And I did one called Miss Fozard. Thank you. Miss Fozard finds a feet. So we're going to put them on at the Bridge Theatre in London. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> So Nick Heitner, who originally sort of, I think it was his idea really, came up with it, who sort of produced and directed some of them. And I think it was his company um, out of the Bridge Theatre was, you know, and I think it's such a great idea to get people back. So we'll, there'll be two two monologues a night, no interval, and then obviously socially distanced audience. And Yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to doing something, looking forward to going to London. I feel, I mean, the fact of going anywhere at the moment, I was like, I'm going to get on the train, oh my goodness. Because <laughs> um, you just get a little bit, you do find it's like, well, if I don't need to go out, I won't. So I'm like, I'm Yesterday, and, uh, and, and got the train into London, and it was quite strange. It was like, where, where, where I get out, I have to sort of walk through like the, the big business sort of district and to, to get to, to East. And, and it was quite strange at like 8 o'clock in the morning to walk through what's generally full of like thousands of suits and there being nobody. And it was just, it, was, oh, it sounds weird, but it was quite nice walking through an empty London and just yeah. going, this is, it's, you know, I've never seen it like this before. It's, it's quite nice to be able to kind of have a casual walk and not get caught up in the hustle and bustle of walking twice as fast as I normally would. It's yeah, like, yeah. it's really nice to have a little sort of stroll through London. And, and then as I got into sort of East a little bit more, it was the, the kind of, you could see a lot more sort of creatives had sort of started to sort of come back into town. And, and there was what there has been, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Whilst London's been empty, there's been some incredible street art painted everywhere. <laughs> I think everyone's been out oh, with wow. their spray cans and stencils. <laughs> but, like, there was some amazing street art. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if I should be endorsing that, but it looked great. Um, well, Max, I'm going to put together a, a Spotify playlist to accompany this so everybody yeah. can go and listen to all of your tunes and the Frog Chorus. And, <laughs> um, and, and not just the tunes, but so many other ones that we've, we've spoken about. And... I can't thank you enough. I've had an absolutely oh, lovely time talking to you. Me too. With you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's lovely to meet you. There you go. Maxine Peak. Um, yeah. Box ticked. Bucket list. Big cross through it. Done. And 
and, and what a, an absolute pleasure it was as well. Um, I don't need to tell you um, how great Maxim was. You just listened. And uh, yeah, it was um, super fun chat. Um, go and check out uh, all of the songs that we spoke about on the um, Spotify playlist. Just go and search off the beaten track on Spotify and uh, and you'll, you'll find lots of the podcasts but also once you find the one that's got um, any one of the previous guest playlists on click that to the um, to the page and then you can have a little rummage around until you find the one you want to listen to um, thanks ever so much for listening as mentioned at the beginning uh, if you enjoy uh, creative people talking about the records that have soundtracked their creative journey then uh, go and have a look in the archives because it's rammed full of really, really nice chats with lots of wonderful uh, musicians, actors, DJs, producers and comedians and anyone else that makes great stuff uh, in the arts. So go and have a look. You can find out about all of this stuff at offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. I'm back, Snick. Oh, there we go. Nearly got through that without getting tongue-tied, but hit the last hurdle um thanks again for listening thanks once again to maxine for giving up her time uh, i'll be back next time see you soon bye-bye i've got an announcement save our souls clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk why am i telling you this because they're our official sponsor yeah that's right go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale you're gonna love it so they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code Beat 15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk, official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow-up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.